You're listening to the Non-Duality Podcast. This is Nick Hyam from nisagayoga.com and here with me is Paul Dobson. So if you're a subscriber of this podcast, you probably noticed that we've been sharing some recordings of talks by Peter Brown. At the beginning of September 2022, Peter passed away. Who or what he truly is, of course, lives on. Today's episode is dedicated to our friend Peter Brown. We have cut ourselves off from noticing the spectacular, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful nature of this actual event and shut ourselves into a world of limitation, a world of smallness, a world of problems, a world of suffering, a world of frustration, and a world of limitation. And by doing so, we reap the reward of a life of essentially hell. We put ourselves into a living hell where we, we suffer, we're in problems we can't find solutions to, and we're going to get old and sick and die. End of story. The only impediment whatsoever is imagination. And not imagination in itself, but the confusing imagination for reality. In other words, confusing your fantasies for what is actually the case. And doing so will effectively put a cork in the bottle, shut the genie in the bottle. It will shut magic out of your world. It will shut divinity out of your world. It will shut spontaneity and vitality out of your world. And you will tend to live in a world of suffering, smallness, pain, limitation, and uh, ultimately death. You're going to die. But it's not losing. It's like, it doesn't matter. It's a non-event. It's like going to sleep or like having the weather change or something. It, it, the, the appearance looks different, but what it is doesn't change. And you are actually that that doesn't change. What this is, what you are, what reality is, is not dependent upon what it looks like. In the most powerful sense, whatever it looks like, it doesn't matter. It really, really doesn't matter. I mean, it matters in its own terms. It's by all means, yeah, try to straighten things out, try to live in a nice world. All that's great. But in actuality, nothing hinges on it. The show goes on. What this is, does not, it cannot be damaged by what it looks like, by what seems to be happening. And it cannot be improved by what seems to be happening either. It's all just a show. And this being the case, you can come to see this directly. Because even though you are, of course, very sensitive to and perceptive of the changes, you know, you all know what's going on, it, it's, it's in your face, right? But you're also engaged with and, and perceptive of, whether you realize it or not, what you are that is beyond the vent. And um, that being the case, you can notice this, you can come to realize this, you can come to, they call it more consciously, engage with that portion of your experience, which is already the case, and it drastically shifts your perspective on what's going on here, on what you are, on what's important, on what matters, on what's valuable. What you are already, what you have always been, what you always will be, what you can't not be, it's impossible for you to not be absolutely transcendental, well, you can't say. There's no words for it. But it's the fact. 
and it's real and it's actual. It's right here, right now. It's perceptible. It is knowable, most profoundly. And doing so will drastically shift your perspective on what matters. Yeah, no, P- Peter was absolutely fantastic, wasn't he? I can't possibly do Peter justice in my words here. I, I really desperately want to do him justice and what he's meant to me over the last few years, but I can't. I can't. I, I wrote as well as I can in a Facebook post what, what he'd meant to me. You know, someone like that is kind of a rare jewel of just top quality wisdom and <laughs> clarity. Just that communication, that direct communication from reality in the clearest possible way within words. He's got it with the humor and just the fun and the wonder. Everything is what he calls radiant presence. You know, that is what is. (laughs) We just kind of dumb that down in our interpretations when all that ever existed was this infinite radiance. He would always direct you back to that. In the simplest of ways, he would just say, that this is happening at all. Stay with that fact. Stay with the actuality, he would say. The actuality of what is here right now. Not your ideas about it, not your concepts, not not your sort of past experiences of what it might be or anything you've read about it. Really don't assume anything. Don't assume absolutely nothing. Every single moment is like the Big Bang. It's always totally fresh. Reality is always refreshed in refresh mode. Yet we have a way of, of, as Peter would say, orienting to it, (laughs) which um, is that we continue the momentum of the storyline that seems to have been happening and then say, well, this moment's just like the last moment. And that's very sort of hypnotic. That's hypnotic, you kind of feel yourself get pulled into that flow of yeah it's time just traveling along and it's exactly how it was a moment ago and it's going to be like this in the next moment and then i'll extrapolate a future where it'll be like this i feel tired now so i'm always going to be tired (laughs) is one example um so it's 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 just not like that though it's that's a very as peter would say a very heavy-handed way of looking at it a very heavy-handed mode of being with reality. It's not that it's wrong, it's just very heavy-handed and inaccurate. We just identify with the the body, the person, and take the, the body and person's story and interpretations of things to be the truth and constantly are overlooking this fact that Peter so well points to. It points to so with such clarity and and fun and it makes you want to explore. It makes you want to explore your experience when you listen to someone like that. Yeah. What this is, is inconceivable, incoherent, indeterminate. Reality has no fundamental patterning yet can present as anything. All is experience and experience occurs in consciousness The source of suffering is misconception. We think we know what life is, what things are, what we are. Because we are that, because we are truth, we are reality, we have full access to explore and investigate what truly is. 
So he always said to notice nakedly the way this moment presents itself, recognizing what your field of experience actually is, since it is the prime fact. This actual event is all that matters. And this is awakening, enlightenment, liberation. There's no need to change. There are no conditions to fulfill. And so awakening is the assimilation of the direct evidence of what actually is. All of these spiritual theoretical traditions don't do us a lot of favors. They're not doing anyone a service by all these elaborations because they oftentimes paint a picture of how difficult and bleak and challenging, God, I have to get rid of all these afflictions that I've accumulated over numberless incarnations and it's, you know, blah, 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 purification, accumulation of merit, blah, blah, you know. It's, 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 uh, it's kind of a nice theory in a way, but it's, 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 um, it's very cumbersome. It's very, it implies, I mean, it's like, why would you even bother? It's like, oh, well, maybe in a hundred thousand lifetimes I'll be pure. And it's like, oh my God, does that, does that sound pretty shitty or what? Mm-hmm. You know, how about, how about just, just seeing, what, discovering what is the case right here, right now, Outside of theories, because all these Buddhist theories and other theories are fine, but there's lots of theories and they're all mutually contradictory. And you may, you may have a history of accepting a certain theoretical basis as being more or less provisionally useful or, or not. But, you know, you could go out and find some other theoretical basis which is completely different, which contradicts that, which, you, which other people also accept. You know, all I advocate is just simple practicality, empiricism. It's like, well, okay, so, All my life, people have been telling me what this is. People have been telling me what I am. People have been telling me what's going on here. And everyone says something different. So there's this big hodgepodge of information about what's going on, and none of it agrees with itself. None of it's very clear. None of it's very useful. So how about you just scotch it all and reinvent the wheel to say, okay, I can figure this out myself. I don't need all these theories. I don't need the advice of dead people from the Far East thousands of years ago. How about, why don't I look at what's happening right here, right now, for myself, and just see if, it, see if it's really that complicated? And what I'm, what I'm here to say, you know, what I, you can, I mean, by all means, I, you have to investigate this for yourself, but what I'm here to say is, it turns out it's not. It turns out it's quite simple. It turns out that all of our problems come from thinking our imagination matters. You know, how about just abandoning theory and just being really, really empirical? Be with just this that is happening, this that is right now. He would constantly lead you back to that point. And that was the whole quote unquote path. It's all always here. Your experience is always utterly full to the brim with that radiance. It's just the interpretation of what that radiance is, or more accurately put, the ability that radiance has to misinterpret itself that causes the the suffering and the mundanity of, of what we seem to experience. Putting the cart before the horse is what we usually do. We put things from the personal point of view and then say we've got to get to this thing called radiant presence or whatever. But if you go direct to the cutting edge of what is here now, like the aliveness, the isness of what is here directly now, before you go off into any personal stuff about it, that's what is. 
That's all you've ever known. That's all that ever can be. And it's all contained there. All answers to all questions are contained there. And even the need for questions whatsoever can dissolve there because it just is. And it's potent and it is the whole path. The more you're with it, it just teaches itself as you. You are it. (laughs) So you're not being with it. You are it. These are modes of exploration. These are ways of exploring your experience. They they can be used as what Peter would call jump, jump off points, launch pads into infinity. You know, you can, you don't have to be doing a quote unquote spiritual practice, but they can be used that way. Um, So, you know, like yoga, for example, you can, the way you're feeling the body, the, the sensations and stuff, you can use that as a, as a launch pad. You know, you have a lot of surge of anger and you're just, okay, right. I'm going to explore what that was, what that is. And you always find it's the same result. It's always the same result, which can't be said, obviously, but it's it's never something other than what Peter calls radiant presence. Any energy that shows up in your experience is a lightning bolt from God. It's pure divine power. It's pure Shakti. And it is truth. And when you see it and own it as as a vector of divine force, it's a weapon in your arsenal. You're using it. You're using it not by picking it up and doing something with it. You're using it by seeing it. It's all about seeing. Not about doing. Seeing is doing. When you see what things are, you've done it. So you kind of it's kind of like surfing. You ride these energies. When you see when you see one of these energies and you see the truth of it, you ride that truth, and that is integrative to the, all the other energies. And eventually you see the full field of the energies and you're surfing the whole thing and then you dissolve as a separate surfer and it's just this field of energy surfing itself. Yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm off the floor on the floor now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, that was really, really good. Was this good for you? So I was like, I need a cigarette. You guys are easy. Yeah. It's like, well, this is surely different from radiant presence. And you look into it and you go directly with it and you're like, that I can't find anything else. You sort of it's there's no layers there, but you kind of by doing that the layers kind of get peeled peeled back, and there's all that's left is what it's actually made of. Like its its magic trick has been revealed. It, it never was actually the the disguise that it's wearing. <laughs> it was never the misinterpretations. It was just this radiant, glowing force of reality that is you that is your experience because it's appearing it is reality it's pure dynamism but it's always itself and it can look infinitely different from itself it's something you said quite a lot which is just how it is and the mind can't quite work that out it can't be made of anything else if it's appearing it is reality and therefore you've already got your foot in the door because it's just by the fact that it's appearing. (laughs) So you're already there because you are it and you are reality and you are transcending it, whatever you take it to be simultaneously. So your foot is already in the door as to the freedom from your interpretations of it. You know, your foot is already in the door just by the fact it's there. So you've always got 
Peter would say, you've got this fork in the road. Every fast passing moment, there's a fork in the road. You can either fork off into your, in- <laughs> fork off. You can either fork off into your interpretations or you can stay with the cutting edge of what's there, be with the fact that it is and really look what is there, like feel into it, you know, feel, put your hand into the bath water, so to speak, you know, be with it directly, feel it as opposed to veering off into the stories about it and, oh, I need to get this and this done. I need to do this type of work on myself or what, what have you. It's, it's no, just stay with that, with that fact. It's, it's like, like an, a mo- every single moment is that opportunity. So it's like you miss that opportunity once and you can go to the next moment. Okay, here it is again. Everything whatsoever is an experience of it knowing itself. Realization is just a discovery that there is no particular level. Realization is really just a discovery or noticing of the arbitrariness of it all. Realization is discovering that all frames of reference are arbitrary. Before realization, we entertain the fantasy that there is some frame of reference that is more true than some other frame of reference. Realization consists of the discovery that that is not the case, that any frame of reference is equally arbitrary, Um, and hence essentially interchangeable. And there is no condition of no frame of reference. So so as a result, it's essentially discovering that one is insane, one is incurably insane, and that is the sole condition. So there's no possibility of ever being cured. You just have an insanity. You're inevitably insane in one one guise or another. (laughs) So it doesn't matter. The drive to seeking and resolution is based on the fantasy that there's some ultimate frame of reference that is better than a current, either a current frame of reference or, or some, you know. In other words, there's a goal that is meaningful. And realization consists of the discovery that there is no goal. It's a discovery of, you could say, absolute relativity. So there's no, there's no gauge of being further along or less further along. There's no gauge of achieving or non-achieving. There's no gauge of improving or not or not improving. It, you know, the, so if, it's, if there's nothing but sliding scale with no extremes whatsoever, it's kind of a big load off. <laughs> and it's the cessation of seeking, per se, without the cessation of any of these modes of activity but you're no longer orienting to the fantasy that there's something to achieve. Because you get that anything that's achievable would be this that is already the case. So achieving something, achieving it is an absurdity. I mean, suppose you realize some astounding whatever, that astounding whatever would be nothing other than this that is here now. And realization consists of the direct naked, self-verifying realization of that fact. So it's kind of a non-event because it's just noticing and appreciating what has always been the case. But you're no longer holding it to be other than it is. This is the great thing about it. It's always there. It's an open invitation, constantly refreshing, going, are you ready now? You can have a look now, see what it is, this thing you've been scared of. You can look at it. Is it scary when you really feel into it, when you really look at it? Is it actually what you thought it was? In the recent talk I was listening to, 
uh, from our uploads of Peter. He was saying, you know, it's like a ghost. It's being like confronted with a ghost. You can either run away from the ghost or you can walk straight towards it and you end up walking through it, <laughs> you know, and see that it's not a problem. That's kind of that attitude, grabbing the bull by the horns, like being directly with whatever the phenomena is. Because it's all you, it's all reality, it's all deeply intimate. It's not something other that's attacking you. It's always you. It's just you're not recognizing it. You're not noticing the fact of what it is. Yeah. And so because there's only reality and you are that, you can't really overlook it. You can't not recognize it. You can't not know because all there is is knowing. This word overlook means to look past, to fail to notice. But what you're looking at instead is also truth. So it's impossible to miss it. There's just so many ways, it seems, to explore yourself as reality. There can be the overlooking mode. There can be the direct engagement, tuning into the actuality, the non-intellectual feeling mode of reality and I'm sure infinite other modes of exploring and navigating and integrating yourself all modes are equal it's all okay and as we always say you can choose to explore yourself through eyes of love or through the perception of lack love is real and all there is whereas Lack is a misperception. Lack is divided into two submodalities, fear and desire. Delusion consists of addiction to specialness. Delusion consists of trying to find something that's great, that's wonderful, that's a problem solver, that's an achievement, that's a goal, that's glorious. And the reason that's a problem is because it diverts us from noticing what is actually supportive, actually, actually nutritious, actually valuable, actually will give you everything you want, which is normalcy, actuality. We look for specialness and it's like, I don't want this. You know, it's like it's like the, the pauper, you know, who lives in a cave and all they have is the rock that they sleep on. You know, they put their head on the rock and that's their sole possession. And they, they just, they're sitting there wishing they could have something special. You know, and someone says, but you have this rock. And he says, oh, I don't want the rock, I want something special. You know, the rock, they're ignoring the fact that the rock is a nugget of pure gold. And they're wanting something special. And they're ignoring the treasure that they actually have. And this is um, a bit of a stretch. But nonetheless, it is, it's, a, it's a very accurate analogy for the situation here. That which is valuable, that which is... Um, Sustaining that which is nourishing, that which will, it gives everything, gives all qualities, is all value, is absolute normalcy, absolute just actuality. You see that you are in a condition of absolute fulfillment where nothing whatsoever is missing or wrong or problematic. A state of completeness, a state of wholeness. We have this word healing, to heal which etymologically comes from whole, to make whole. And since what this is intrinsically and inherently is a wholeness, realizing that that is the case, of course, is the ultimate healing. It affects a complete 
realization that you are intrinsically whole, intrinsically in a condition of wholeness. All of our problems, all of our dissatisfaction, all frustration, all sense of separateness, dependence, weakness, failure, suffering, follows completely from misinterpreting what is here. And on the other hand, coming to see, coming to understand what is here as it actually is, is what is called enlightenment. It's called liberation. It's called realization. To move from a sense of bondage to a sense of liberation simply means to become more sensitive to the the, 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 the quantity and the qualities of the degree of unpatternedness which is present within experience. Um, now the patterning and the unpatternedness are very interesting because they conceptually they seem to be, you'd think they were opposites, but they aren't opposites, they coexist. Um, they interpenetrate each other, they are aspects of each other in a way which is um, not very rationally describable or addressable. So why not shift into a new way of looking, exploring, and look through the eyes of love. Now, as Peter always says, to do that, we have to put aside our usual habitual lack-based mode, which is knowing life through the mind rather than just through pure knowing. The mind adds the conceptualizing aspect. It splits things up. And even to say, it kind of rarefies it and, and turns it into something. And actually, there is no thing called the mind. Even that's a label. Really, the mind is intelligence. It's just pure intelligence appearing as what could be called the mind and therefore what could be called the intellectualizing and dualizing mode of this navigation. It's a, it's a, it's a continuous flow of space-time. And where do you divide one portion of space-time from another? It cannot be done. You can't extricate anything from its milieu because its milieu is it. You know, talking about you outside of the context of your history, outside of the context of your society, outside of the context of your family, outside of the context of the biosphere, outside of the context of the history of life on Earth, is completely meaningless because you are one with it. It makes you and you are an expression of it. So you can't, when I talk about you, I'm talking about the history of life on Earth, because because you're a continuum. It's like when you talk about a wave, you're talking about the ocean, because there ain't no dotted line where the wave stops and the ocean starts. You know, the, the ocean, the wave is the ocean. The ocean is the wave. It's just designating, arbitrarily designating a portion of a whole system as if that portion was a separate part. And it isn't. There are no separate parts. Nothing exists in isolation. You know, even galaxies interact. You know, I mean, it's it's, uh, and and yet with our language, we talk about things and actions and you know corporations and people and this. Every every time you name something, every time you put a noun on something, you're subliminally claiming that it exists as an, a, some degree of an autonomous entity, and that and that can't be found in reality because experience is not separated from itself. You know. You experience, at this moment, you experience your whole field of experience. You don't experience separate people and chairs and rooms. And we, we can put names on those things, but those names are arbitrary. They're like post-its, imaginary post-its you stick on your experience, which is as if there was a separation. 
it's like it's like taking a, a picture, a photograph, and saying, "Oh, look, this is so and so, and this is so." This they aren't there. It's they're, they're patterns of light on a piece of paper. You have lightness and darkness, and you can't separate one from the other. You know, this is the the nature of reality. Is that it is not? It can't be cut into pieces meaningfully, and yet we pretend that it can be with our analysis which is why the analysis is completely erroneous because it excludes too much the labeling the splitting up creates this sense of fear and desire and fundamentally separateness and what peter teaches is about coming to that portion of our experience that isn't characterized that way and that portion of experience is always accessible just be with this directly or as Peter often said, nakedly. You can also notice that the addition of mind, of conceptualizing, just happens spontaneously. You, you know, like you're not even involved in it, apparently. There's just this habitual labeling, naming. You can watch that as well. Just be in awe, like, wow, isn't that amazing how this intelligence as mind can do this, can split this all up? apparently, but is it really splitting it up? That's the question. Do labels, do concepts actually do anything? Do they amount to anything? Well, no, they don't, because they're just beliefs. They're just beliefs. These words, these labels, these concepts, they're just beliefs. So what isn't belief-based? Well, reality. It's practical to understand that it's fruitless to try to find something that it is, as, as a matter of practicality. Um, it's, it's much more fruitful to take away anything you think it is. So anything you think it is, take it away. And, and if you substitute a more subtle and more refined notion for that, take that away. Just keep taking away is much more to the point from, from practical basis than trying to, you know, oh, it's this or it's that. Or, no matter how glorious and refined and subtle and nuanced, you know, it's like, no, take that away at, without substituting something for it. You know, th I mean, that's the sense in which this is not anything. This is not some condition that can be specified. It is exactly this. It's completely obvious, but it can't be said. It can't be specified. It can't be tied down in any sense whatsoever. But it is itself, so it doesn't need to be. It's totally accessible and it never goes away, so it doesn't need to be pinned down. But it is totally, it is completely elusive and completely impossible to pin down. And the subtle tendency to come up with, you know, subtle ways of defining it or pinning it down or qualifying it are just traps, basically. Or they, they, they have that effect, you know, as, as diverting your attention from the actuality becomes a carrot on a string that essentially keeps you from the actuality which is what's powerful. It's this, it's this actuality here that is powerful, that is liberating, that is, that is nourishing. It's not, it's not any notion of it no matter how glorious and refined and subtle. Because this is not that. This cannot be caught in a notion. It absolutely cannot be. When I say inconceivable, I mean it literally is cannot be conceived of, simply cannot be done, impossible. Hmm. There is no intellectual understanding. 
None. None. If you understand something, you're wrong. Yeah. Exactly. The notion of it is specious. It's just not. It's just not the case. It's just not like that. It's just not like that. Just happens to be the case. Yeah. But fortunately, that turns out to be fine because it's not necessary. <laughs> presence is only present because presence recognizes itself. If presence wasn't wasn't recognized, it wouldn't exist. It's in the perception of presence that it is actual, and what perceives presence is presence. So there's no second, there's no other mechanism. Presence isn't actually seeing itself in a mirror, it's just recognizing itself without mechanism. Presence is, knows presence because it's present and it happens to know itself. But that can happen in any way too. Well, it can't not, it can't not happen. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the constant. And it can look like anything. But it's always, you know, it's always, uh, you know, I mean, you, we have all these notions like awareness and consciousness and all yeah. that, but when you're looking for awareness and consciousness, you don't actually find anything. All they refer to is the inherent potency, which you can't find either, but the inherent potency of this that is here, this presence. The, the nature of it is such that it knows itself, it perceives itself, it, it actualizes itself as this actuality right here without any extra or external mechanism. And it's, it's all miraculous and, you know, the fantasy is that there is a, is that, is that there is mechanism, there is a self over here that's seeing it over there and all of that imaginary projection, projected structure, you know, complicates the issue or would complicate the issue if it was actual and was findable, but of course it isn't, it is neither. All, the only thing you actually find is this itself, you know, so if you want to argue that this is recognizing itself, okay, fine, argue it all you want, but you won't ever, you still won't find anything beyond the bare fact of this. So it, it you know, it, it's all, it's all an in-house job, so to speak. Another BYO situation. Yeah. I mean, when you're done your deathbed, what difference does it make what your history is? What difference does it make? what your body is, what difference does it make what the world is when you're about to, it's all about to disappear, you're about to leave it. Since that's going to happen anyway, why not toy with the idea of what would it be like now, you know, simulate, you can simulate it, you can imagine, well here I am, what if this was my deathbed? You know, what if I was going to die in 10 minutes and I was going to have to let go of all this anyway, what does it feel like to let go of everything? just let go of, of, of investment, of, of clinging to this, you know, these relationships, these, these, uh, our position in our narrative, our position in our lives, our, our position in what we think we are and what we think we're doing. You know, what would it be like to just let go of that completely and just be here? It's not any different, really, than when you are doing all the interpreting and all the investment. You are just here, after all. You know, so that's really the only fact. That's really the actual situation that we find ourselves in. All of this, whatever this is, this pure radiance of being, of presence, none of it comes with a ready-made label. So therefore, none of it is split up. It's just 
the wholeness of experiencing, the wholeness of experience. Sometimes we can hear this stuff and and think, oh, okay, so, oh, I have to stop thinking. I have to stop labeling. I have to stop naming this. Okay, how do I do that then? Oh, I have to stop thinking. So, hmm, that's hard. <laughs> oh, is it, is it about doing lots of meditation? Is it about doing lots of practice? Will it, when I get to this point where I'm kind of like a Zen monk and I'm just pure there's just pureness of of experience well that's already happening and so you don't have to live that way not labeling that labeling happens as i said it's just spontaneous you don't have to go on not doing anything because that's still a position just not doing anything is still a position so it's still a doing so the point of this is to get close to what's actually happening close enough to recognize truth and then because you recognize truth you also recognize that all of this this other mode of of lack and fear and desire and and all of what it amounts to it's it's just as pure and innocent as truth itself because it is truth itself i say these words like divine intelligence and it's easy to go oh yeah you know what divine intelligence but where does intelligence come from? Where does the force that is arranging the exact and precise disposition and interaction of all these quarks and atoms come from? What power is doing that? What power is making all of this functionality happened so astoundingly precisely in exactly the way it is. What force is making your heartbeat and regulating your blood pressure? Well, in my case, it's blood pressure medication, but... <laughs> what, but what force is putting thoughts in your head? What force is making the sunshine? What force is making gravity hold everything down with exactly the precise mode in proportion to the degree of its mass and distance from the center of the earth, etc., etc. Where's that coming from? What's doing that? You know? It's inconceivable. It's absolutely inconceivable. It's just, to, to take it as a given is easy. Well, it's just there. It's just the way things are. Well, cool, that's fine. But that doesn't really answer the question, does it? What's doing it? What is it? What is this astounding, inconceivable functionality and synchronicity that where everything works together like this astounding clockwork. You know, and I, to me, it's not too much of a leap, it's not too, going too far out into left field to call that an intelligence. And since it's essentially miraculous, it comes from nowhere, it just, bang, it just is. Um, calling it divine is kind of nice. I mean, God is sort of a, on this wonderful silly notion that, you know, it's easy to, it's sort of the ultimate, the ultimate fuzzy. You know, you can't say what it is, so you can sort of hang anything on it. But it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful notion for that very regard, because in its very ambiguity, in its very extreme, absolute nature, the fact that you can't, there's no way you can get a handle on what God is, what God means. So that rather, that notion rather nicely illustrates this principle of absolute mystery that 
all of this ultimately boils down to. All of this, this right here, and again, I'm not trying to talk in abstractions. I'm talking about this actual fact. This that is right here, this that is actual, that is real, that is present. It, you know, what's doing it? Where's it coming from? So, when I say divine intelligence, I'm not trying to be metaphorical or poetic or religious or um, arrogant. I'm trying to indicate very precisely that there's something astounding that's actually here, that's actually functional, that's absolutely inconceivable, and yet is the farthest thing from an abstraction that there is. It's the most actual thing. It's this actuality of functionality that your experience is evidence of and is ultimately consists of and is made of and is doing it. So I'm trying to illustrate and indicate something that is profoundly concrete, not in the least abstract or metaphorical or poetic. All of these patterns of conditioning can go on, they can continue to play out. There's no real problem. There's nothing to change or get rid of, only to discern truly. So Peter said, the shortest path is to notice your experience at its rawest presence at its most spontaneous and least elaborated fact of being. Again, notice the elaborations, notice the apparently kind of impure layer of concept, and then see that there's no impurity there. There's no real distortion. Reality can't really distort itself. It can't really trick itself because there's only that. can't overlook this. How can you overlook it? That's all there is. But to experience that way knowingly, it's to notice, just to notice this moment closely, clearly, to suspend whatever you think you are, whatever you think reality is. And in the space of that unknowing and indeterminacy, to look and see what's actually here, what this actually is, and let it show you what it is, because it's not hidden, it's not concealed, it's not being blocked by anything other than itself. What it is is absolute infinity, absolute transcendence, and yet it looks like all of this specificity, all this diversification. How does that work? Well, you go and look, look at it, look very closely at anything, you see how it works, it's very clear. You know, um, the, 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 the specificity, the patterning only holds up if you don't look too close. As soon as you look close, it opens up into indeterminacy and into infinity. You know, the less specific you are, the more specific it can seem to be. And the more specific you are, by trying to pin down exactly what it is, the more nebulous and cloud-like it gets. Anything. And this is intrinsic, and in it's in the nature of the radius. It's just like that. You know, try and pin down exactly what anything is, and you can't find anything. And yet, if you don't look too closely, it seems very concrete and solid and obvious. Yeah. So, uh, lack of, a, you know, you know, delusion holds up from lack of examination, but it won't stand up to a thorough examination. You know, because, the, because again, the, pattern, the apparent patterning exists, but it's 
an apparent patterning of something that's intrinsically unpatterned because it's in. You know, a good way to understand that is like a fractal. You know, a fractal seems to have a pattern if you just glance at it, but if you look really closely at the details, you know, you go into the Mandelbrot set and what exactly does it look like? And the, you go in and all of a sudden, whoop, you know, it's just like, oh my God, it just, you know. It's like patterns within patterns. Yeah, with forever. Patterns within patterns within patterns within patterns within patterns with no bottom. Yeah. You know, and so what, so what shape is it? it? It's meaningless. Depends on how you look at it. And, and experience is exactly the same way. The shape of anything depends on how you look at it. And there's no limit to the ways you can look at it. So, what shape is anything? Any? You can't say. No shape. And so, so the karma, which is essentially shape, mm-hmm. or specifics of what things look like, this is this and that's that, you can't find an actual this, you can't find an actual that. All there is is the, you know, the, the, the interface, the, the, the presentation of some apparent degree of patterning that is essentially a presentation of something that's intrinsically unpatterned. So therefore, there are no real blocks. There's no concealment. There's only the revealing, the revelation of reality as all of this, as this, or whatever this present moment consists of, this is the revealing, the revelation. It's like, here I am. I'm showing up like this. I'm showing up like this. This is me. This is me. This is me. And it's kind of like in your face. And you're like, no, no. I've got to push that away. I've got to change it. I've got to find the, the truth. But this is truth. This is all truth. It's just what you think any of this is, is not actually that. It's not that thought. Those thoughts are not true. The labels are not true. But what any of this stuff is made of is just truth itself, reality itself. So yeah, really get close, be with this, and then you'll recognize that you can't not be with this because that's all you're ever being with. Peter said this, you know, and it's basically in line with that, is all systems of analysis are differing perspectives on this sole actuality. All philosophies, all schemes of description, all human analytical thought, religions, philosophies, sciences, spiritual paths, all theories etc., are of nothing other than the absolute, the infinite, non-linear, miraculous way that it is what it is, enables it to seem to be in all these various different ways that these systems of thought describe or imply, but of course all thought fails to accurately indicate its true nature. As Peter said, you know, this is freefall. You are infinity falling through infinity, infinitely, (laughs) And that is all that has ever been happening and all that will ever happen. Wake up and smell the endlessly falling through infinity. <laughs> so instead of wake up and smell the coffee, you wake up and smell the endlessly falling through infinity because that's what's happening. And it's kind of like once you start realizing it, it becomes more and more obvious and it starts slapping you across the face with that fact. Everywhere you look, in any any quality of experience, even something you just think is so mundane, so obvious, so boring, just the sensation on the tip of my finger or something. If I look into that, it's it's infinite. It's like <laughs> this is why the doorway to into reality is always there, no matter what. Peter Brown said something along the lines of um this isn't a direct quote, but this is what I remember he said. He um he said 
the difficulty isn't in reality seeing itself because reality can only ever see itself. It's only ever noticing itself. That's not the difficulty. The difficulty is in the uh, that ignorance, the pull of ignorance is is so strong. It's actually the misinterpretations are so strong in their pull. Like they're so hypnotic and seductive. It's not that reality's reality's always seeing itself, even in the ignorance, even in the misperceptions, even in the misinterpretations. But they're so hypnotic and have got such a strong pull to them. That's the only difficulty. That is the only difficulty is is not going via those. It just it's so it's just got a lot of momentum and a lot of weight to it, uh, seemingly. That's nothing's actually obscuring anything. In spirituality, it, it's very, very common to suppose, you know, particularly in the earlier phases, that the idea of spirituality to make progress, to get it, to get the point, to get it, you have to either learn to do something that you're not doing, or stop doing something that you are doing. And both of those are fallacies. Um, and the way that you discover their fallacies is by wading into them and discovering that they're you can't actually <laughs> change anything. <laughs> you know, it's very common, for example, in, in many branches of spirituality, suppose that oh, I have to stop thinking. I have to, a cessation of thought's going to do it. I just have to <coughs> stop thinking. And you you can't stop thinking. You can only pretend to stop thinking. And then all these people think they're in deep meditation and they're pretending to not think. But in actuality, thought cannot be stopped. It cannot be stopped. It can, it can be sort of transmuted to a subtler frequency or what have you. Again, this, these terms are very imprecise. It's not about stopping thinking, actually. It's more like undermining thought. <laughs> like, f- through seeing this, the thoughts mechanism and the way it causes these misinterpretations is undermined it's totally allowed to be there but it's it's like it has no weight to it anymore like these stories and stuff that pop up and the ideas of the way things are are more like playful musings about potential narrations about this scene as opposed to the actual scene itself Whereas we take the little narrations as to be the scene and we view it through those narrations and take that to be absolute. So, yeah, it's not about stopping thinking as it's taught in a lot of spirituality. It's, you can play with that as a kind of perspective point, Peter would say. You can try that, like you can try meditation, you can try all of these, these things. Personally, I meditate, you know, I lie down. I, what I do could loosely be called meditation. I lie down for two hours a day, <laughs> kind of explore my experience because I, I like lying down. <laughs> but um, the point is, though, what once you see, have seen enough times that this can't possibly be, des- be described. And I always go back to this point that Colette said, her friend said, actually, that you can't think of right now. That's kind of stayed with me. You can't possibly think of right now. You can't describe right now. It just is impossible. So thoughts are always a lie, in a sense. They're just always, always wrong. 100% of the time, they're always inaccurate because they can't possibly, can't possibly contain what this is. 
no matter how profound the thought, it's always just too much for a, a thought to possibly contain in the, such a small stick figure symbol, <laughs> you know, of what's what's the actual occurrences with infinite information. You've got infinite information and you think that a thought can somehow tell you what's there. I think I've heard, I think it was Peter that used this example where, um, you know, you'd look at this amazing piece of art and there'd be, you know, just a little caption that went with it underneath. It would just say, like a two-line description of what the piece of art was, like that was going to cover what that piece was, this infinite richness and colour and creativity, this explosion of creativity on this canvas and depth and story and all that goes with it, just this infinite information of amazingness and then this like two-line description of what the piece is. <laughs> you know, it's like that. Life is like that. It's It, it is just... It's too much information to possibly get hold of. See, but you don't need to get hold of it because you are it. It's like we're trying to catch the air with like a net or something, the air of what we are, like the presence of what we are. It can't be caught with nets of thoughts, you know. It's, but you can be it because you already are it. You can just notice that you are it. Anything that you're experiencing is in no way separate from you. It is your. It is you, actually. All spirituality whatsoever, no matter what tradition or non-tradition it comes from, essentially consists of using form to discover essence. Now, exactly what is meant by form and exactly what is meant by essence is part of this path of discovery. You can't pin down exactly what it is about until you are well well engaged with it. <clears throat> um, the major hitching point in virtually all spirituality consists of confusing form and essence. We think that a particular form is somehow spiritual or elevated or advantageous, i.e. somehow essential, and then we essentially stop using that form as a vehicle to essence and take the form as a destination. This is very commonplace with people to become experts in meditation or in yoga or in various other traditions, um, singing kirtan, all these kinds of things. Um, it's very commonplace to mistake these forms as ends in themselves rather than seeing them as they truly are, as jumping off points, as opportunities to discover and further explore essence. In true spirituality, form is like a diving board. And the point of the diving board is to use it to jump into the damn pool, not to hang out on the diving board or collect diving boards or become an expert in diving boards. The diving board is there for one purpose, to jump into the pool. So the diving board, it's all about departing from the diving board. The diving board, the very essence, the essential function of a diving board is to leave it, to leave it behind, to use it as a, as a jumping off point, literally in this case, for entering the pool. And likewise, form, all forms in spiritual investigation are jumping off points. They're diving boards. 
they serve their purpose only when you depart from them. They are points of departure, they are not destinations. <clears throat> um, and it seems to be very easy to become confused about this. It seems to be very easy to um, be murky about this because so many of these forms seem to be such departures from normal life. You know, if you're if you're a banker or a businessman or a retailer or something, and you go, you know, join a meditation sect and you spend eight hours a day staring at a wall or something, you may feel like, oh wow, this has been a big departure. But it's misunderstanding the entire functional principle that these forms are launch pads. They are launch pads. It's about achieving escape velocity. It's not about hanging out on the launch pad as a destination. Now, form and essence themselves are very interesting. What is form? Well, anything is form. Form is experience. Form is the apparitions of experience, what appears as experience. <clears throat> so, uh, any aspect of one's experience can be um, a vehicle for exploration of essence, a vehicle as a jumping, to, to, as a starting point, uh, let's say, to jump off into an exploration of the essence that is um, included therein. The relationship between form and essence proves to be inconceivably subtle and we don't really discover this until we're well on the way of uh, of this path of exploration to because we can't really know what essence is until we're pretty thoroughly embedded in it <clears throat> where we think we're going is not where we're actually going <laughs> in that regard it's probably a little bit like jumping off a cliff <laughs> <clears throat> but the, the essential movement from form to essence is a movement into in finer subtlety, increased subtlety, moving from the coarse to the subtle, moving from the obvious to the refined, and um, essentially developing an appreciation for subtlety, an appreciation for the refined. Um, to discover, to push the envelope of our own sensitivity to what subtlety is, to how subtle this can be, to how refined this can be, to how nuanced these aspects of our experience can be. We're all very familiar with the coarse aspects of experience. Certainly, you know, our sensory experience in the world and our personalities and all these very obvious aspects. But to move from that, from whatever layer degree of subtlety we're used to being with this obviousness to a more refined relationship, a more subtle relationship, a more nuanced relationship, a more implicit relationship. This is the true spiritual path. And it goes ultimately until essence and form are seen as an absolute essential unity. But this is not something that it's useful to try to contrive or even aspire to. Rather, wh whatever form you're working with, try to penetrate it, try to move into a, a degree of 
increased subtlety, a degree of increased nuance in terms of appreciating what it is, in terms of um, exploring how it presents itself. Because there is a, certainly an infinite degree of subtlety and nuance that is being presented within our experience. And noticing this and coming into relating to our experience in terms of that is the essence of true spirituality. <laughs> Thanks.